Steve's been giving this out. We've been training you, hopefully, to get these. Uh, the scripture reading for today is found on your worship folder. It's John 16, verses 5 through 11. For the next three weeks, in conjunction with what we've been hearing both last week from Tim on, on, on the mission of the kingdom of God, and this week from Holly, we're get, we are looking at really the mission of the Holy Spirit. And we're looking at the mission of the Spirit of, of Christ inside your heart, but also in the lives of the people around you as well. And so uh, if, if, if you ever think theologically, you might ask the question, which of the apostles is the, the apostle of the Holy Spirit? And most people would say, well, the Apostle Paul, because he writes a lot about spiritual gifts. But the truth is that John was the apostle of the Holy Spirit because he writes about the nature and person and work of the Holy Spirit. There is more about the Holy Spirit in John than there is any other place because it's Jesus revealing the very character and the person as well as the work of the Spirit. So when you want to know the Holy Spirit, you have to, you have to go and study him from the Apostle John. So John 16 is one of the revelatory passages about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So I'd like us to read a section of this together. It begins at verse 5 where Jesus is beginning to tell his disciples that he's about to leave them. And then we'll end at verse 11. But I like it when you read out loud with me. So let's read God's word together. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I want you to think with me... Uh, about a, a, a couple of things as we start this. Okay, the first is this. The Holy Spirit, by Jesus' own revelation, is called the helper, okay, or the advocate. The word in Greek there is the paraclete. Now, I look around this room, it looks like all of you, all of you, if someone were to come up to you and you're, you're getting on the train or you're getting on the bus or the subway, and they come up to you and they were to grab you by the elbow and say, let me help you, you would be insulted. Because you would say, I don't need help getting on the bus. You know, uh, and so if someone, if someone tries to help you when you don't think you need help, it's an insult to you. Can you, can you grab that with me? Okay, now one I lived in Costa Rica for a while, and everybody, we rode the bus everywhere. And uh, in those days, the women wore skirts so tight 
that it took three women to get one woman on the bus. The skirts went, they were down to here, and they could only walk like that. And so one would pull, the other would push, and they could get each other on the bus. You know, so I'm sure they needed and liked having help. But most of us, if somebody comes up to you and says, can I help you? It's like, are, are you calling me old? Are you calling me feeble? Are you calling me, you know, something? And so the idea of having a helper is really only important to you if you know that you need the help. Now, when someone helps you and you are desperate for that help, then that helper becomes a savior to you. But if, if in your mind's eye, I don't really need this help, and it's very difficult for you to appreciate the help. And so what Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit has to work in such a way to convict you that you need the help before you will appreciate the help. Can you track with me on that? Right, the second thing is this. I don't know if any, you know, I'm, I'm really old, and I, there are television shows that immediately come to mind when I'm thinking about certain points in the scriptures. And one of them, especially when Holly was talking Earlier, one of them was a program I used to watch in the days where there were only three channels of TV and there was only one TV set and it didn't have color yet. And uh, it was called Mission Impossible. Uh, and we watched, the, uh, we watched that every week as a family. My dad liked it. But my favorite part was that initial part where it says, your mission, if you choose to accept it, you know, and then you had seven seconds before the tape just disintegrated, which one preacher I heard on the, talking about this said it was the beginning of government waste, you know, because every week that tape recorder would blow up. And, and you know, but the funny thing is if you watch that program closely when they said th this impossible mission that they gave him to save the world within an hour program, you would see this giant, like, smirk on Mr. Phelps's face because he knew he would save the world and be back next week to do it again. You know, and, and so nowadays we have Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible and stuff, but the original guy, that smirk, I think I adopted it as, uh, you know, the idea of, of someone being given a mission that is impossible. When, when you look at this scripture you will realize that, that the mission that the Holy Spirit is at work with, with and in your life is an impossible mission apart from the helper. Without the helper, this is an impossible mission. And so here's what Jesus says in the first part of, of chapter 16. He says to these disciples, says, you, they will put you out of the synagogues the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is doing God a service. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. Now, what Jesus and what John is writing about here is the fact that Jesus has chosen these 12 disciples and he's told them to go and turn the world upside down. But if you think about these 12, some of them are nothing more than illiterate fishermen. Others who have no status whatsoever from a country that has no status. And he's, he's telling them 
in this Roman world where they are underdogs, where it is impossible what he's asking them to do, he's telling them to go to their own people who have very distinct views about God, and he's telling them to go to them and say, Yahweh, who revealed himself to Moses, has come to us as a penniless, itinerant preacher. And unless you believe in him, you will not be saved. This is the mission that Jesus gives to them. And then he also gives them, because he's not going to leave them among the Jewish people, he's going to send them out and thrust them out into a world that is dominated by Greek philosophy. Now, Greek philosophy held this. You kind of boil it down succinctly. Greek philosophy said there is truth and there is beauty, but it exists in a realm that is not material. It, it, It exists or it dwells, in a sense, in another place. As uh, matter of fact, uh, Plato and Aristotle basically tended to believe that this world was nothing more than a shadow of that reality, that we kind of lived in the cave of this place. And they were supposed to go to, these, to the most sophisticated cultures, to the most powerful cultures, and they were to go there and they were to say to them, truth and beauty does not exist in some faraway, immaterial place. Truth and beauty or dwell in a person, that person's name is Jesus Christ. And that's the mission that Jesus gave. He went to the Jews to preach that God himself, Yahweh, the Lord, had become and taken on human flesh. And that unless you believed in him, you were not saved. To go to the Greeks and the Romans and to say, truth and beauty does not exist in a far-off place. Truth and beauty has indwelled the human and tabernacled in human flesh, and his name is Jesus, and unless you believe in him, you will not be saved. This is, this is the impossible mission. This is the impossible mission that Holly's talking about. This is the impossible mission in New City. This is the impossible mission in Rockland County, because the call of Jesus on your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, will always be the same. A missionary God calls us to be missionary people. Now, the great thing about this is he did not send them out alone. Oh, one of my favorite parts of all of this is to, in the midst of him telling them, this is going to be your mission, this is what's going to happen, all of this, he also goes, by the way, I'm going to die. So you can imagine, in a sense, that on that cross, all of their dreams died with Jesus. Because they thought they were going to have a political empire. They thought they were going to have an overthrow of the government. They thought they were going to be lifted up and exalted with him over the earth. Everything that they planned, everything they schemed was going down the tubes. So if any of you have ever thought, what is the motivation of these disciples? Well, all of their fleshly, soulish, earthly motivations died on a cross. And so only because of a resurrected Christ and only because of an ever-present Holy Spirit. And again, Holly was talking about this a little bit earlier about the place that they pray called the river. I want to remind you again that what we're talking about is, is a, in a sense, two dimensions of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the omnipresence of God. He is everywhere present at the same time. 
He does not have a body like us. He's called a spirit for, for a reason. It's because he's not bound by the same corporal realities that you and I have. He can be everywhere at the same time. There is no place you can go where you can escape the presence of God. But that's not what's being promised in John 16. Everybody, just like everybody who lives breathes oxygen, everybody has some contact and touch with the Spirit of God. What's being, what is being promised here is a, a deeper dimension, a greater level of what we call the manifest presence of God. That God loves to manifest His presence in a personal and real way. And if you've ever wondered about this, the Spirit of God is not an it. It is not a thing. It is not a force. As a matter of fact, as we study this closely, particularly from John, you realize that he has all the attributes of personhood. The Holy Spirit is a person, a third person of the Trinity. He is everything that the Father is. He brings everything that the Son is. And when you are experiencing the Holy Spirit, you are experiencing the fullness of God. And so everybody has a touch in every person that's ever lived, every person that's ever existed has had a touch of the Holy Spirit. That is not what Jesus is promising. Jesus is promising a, an ever-present reality of everything that is true of Jesus in your life in union with your spirit, making you alive in God. So the mission, though it's an impossible one, becomes possible because of the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about this, there's a couple of things I'd like, I'd like you to think about. If you're seeking God, maybe you're here and, and you feel somewhat drawn uh, away from the normal way that you think or the way that you've, you've learned about God in the past, if you're seeking God, then what you have to understand from John 16 is that relationship with God is not simply an intellectual exercise. What's happening is that any drawing that you're feeling, any, any sense that you begin to say, I like this or I'm attracted to this, is actually the work of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Spirit of Christ in your life, even without you knowing it, even the sense that you begin to realize, wow, something is drawing me, something is interesting me into this life that's spiritual, not just the material life. If you're a Christian, then John 16 is the promise of God that the people in your life, the people you care about, the people that you long to see, you long to see them realize an intimate relationship with Christ, you're not alone in wanting that. If you have a great desire for your family or your friends to know Jesus, then you have the greatest confidence in the world because the Holy Spirit is at work. See, if you think, and many have thought this over the years, that somehow it depends on your persuasive ability then you've failed to understand how people come into relationship with Christ. They are not just philosophically uh, uh, won by arguments. They are not just morally won by a better way of life. They are not just won because you seem to have it more together than they do. They are won because their hearts are radically changed. They are won because, like John Wesley said, their hearts become warmed 
to things that they were indifferent of before. And that doesn't happen by philosophy, theology. It doesn't happen by persuasive speech. It happens by an inward act, an inward working of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, and one of the reasons that Christianity is different from every other faith, is that first of all, Christianity is an inward transformation. It's an inward transforming reality, something that the Spirit of God does on the inside. If you're a believer, instead of, instead of having a lack of confidence, you should have every confidence. When you pray, things happen. When you pray, you are partnering with the one with whom nothing is impossible. And, and, and something begins to happen, friends, when you start to rise up in faith. There are people in areas of the world that think nothing good could happen until someone comes in as a catalyst and says, no, the Spirit of God is at work. The Spirit of God can do anything. And you begin to hold on to that promise and you begin to believe and your prayers will rock the world. If he gave to 12 average, ordinary men the mission to change the world, and they did, then he can do it with you as well. There's not a family member, there's not a friend who's beyond the work of the Spirit. Now, I think you're believing me this morning. That's his work. You see, somehow I, I've seen churches that thought it was their work. You might ask the question, you know, just to, just to, a little bit to, to touch into what Holly was saying earlier. You might ask the question, why was it so important to establish the river in that area uh, that is devoid, in a sense, of very many believers and where there's such a Muslim population? Well, because the first thing you want is the presence of God. The biggest thing that you want is the work of the Spirit. Because if you have that, all you have to do is piggyback on it. And then you get to see healings and say, uh, people get saved. Because again, if people don't recognize they need help, they will not appreciate the helper. It is when they realize that the help is what they need, that then the helper becomes the one that they've been looking for. Same is true in New City, same is true in Rockland, same is true in New York. You want to turn your world upside down in a good way? Well, it takes a supernatural presence to do that. Now, here's what, uh, I have a short amount of time, but I want to I just unpack a little bit with you of what he's working on in your life and the life of people around you. The first thing it says is that he will convict the world. This is the work of the Spirit. He will convict the world. Now, this is, this is a, an intentional contradiction, in a sense. There's an intentional contradiction that Jesus puts forth. Because the first revelation that he makes of the Holy Spirit is he calls him the advocate or the helper or the comforter. But another way to translate that word is, is the defense lawyer. So the Holy Spirit is, by nature, a defense lawyer for believers. But here Jesus calls him a prosecutor. Okay, so how can he be the defense lawyer 
and the prosecutor at the same time. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Well, if you think about it, common sense will kind of kick in that there are many times you cannot defend an idiot till they know they're an idiot. I mean, until they recognize that they need defense, then their defense is, is, is not even existent to them. So in a way, what, what John is saying here, that Jesus is saying, is the Holy Spirit first has to reveal to you how much you need him before you will then retain him to be the lawyer for your defense. Uh, there are numerous times that you can see this. I love to watch movies. And often in a movie, you'll see people like running away, escaping from some place, maybe a prison or, or from an evil, evil ogre or whatever, you know. And they're running away and they're running together. And maybe they're their family or their friends or maybe their lovers or whatever it might be. And as they run away, one of them trips and gets hurt. And they go, you go ahead. Right, right. They say, you go ahead. They're going to catch me. There's no way I can make it. I'm, I, you know, and what does the one who loved them do but say, yes, you can. This is no time to quit. Well, what are they doing? They're prosecuting them. You see, they're pushing them. They're saying to them, you can do this. But it sounds like they're fussing at them. It sounds like they're, you know, they're attacking them. But why are they doing it? Because they know that this is no time for softness. This is a time to to, to inspire them to move forward, to get to the destination so they can be safe. Now, that person might not want a helper at that moment, but they need a helper. And it's in those moments, see, the Holy Spirit says, do you understand? You're riddled with sin. You're riddled with guilt. You're riddled with all of this stuff. And he has to tell you that because you're acting like it doesn't matter. You're acting like it's unimportant. You're acting like this isn't the most relative relevant thing in your life and he's saying it's the only relevant thing see the process that the spirit does is 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 uh, revealed by Jesus he convicts you of sin he convicts you of righteousness and he convicts you of judgment let me tell you what what he means by that and and, and if you give me just a, a couple of minutes here I can I can unpack this for you first and foremost uh, when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, you, you experience questions. You begin, to, you begin to feel things you never felt before. You begin to see importance of things that were not important to you before. Things that you were indifferent about now suddenly begin to be things that are important to you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the first thing that he does is he reveals to you, you have a need. You have a need. And, and you might not even have known you had that need before. You might not even have ever thought this was important. Suddenly you begin to realize this is incredibly important. And that need is that, that you have sin in your life and you have need for a Savior. And you begin to realize this is the most important thing that I ever, I ever saw. There was a, a man who was, was the, uh, one of the highest ranking doctors in the United States. His name was C. Everett Coop. And he wrote, he wrote a biography of his life, and there's just a couple of pages where he talks about his conversion to Christ. He was the Surgeon General, and before that, he used to travel with Francis Schaeffer. That's, that's where I began to get interested with him, because I heard him speak numerous times. And, and, 
and Dr. Coop said this. He said, I started going to this church. It was a Presbyterian church in Philadelphia with this incredible pastor by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse. And he said, I went to this church because I thought I needed a moral influence in my life. I thought I needed a moral compass. And he said, the first two weeks that I was there, I said, I hated that pastor. I said, how in the world can he say the things he says? Who does he think he is? And he said, but little by little, I got more and more questions. And finally, I realized I could not retool my parents' faith. I had to have a faith of my own. I couldn't simply be a decent person. He said it was not enough. He began to realize I am desperate for a Savior because I have a need that is greater than I can accomplish on my own. That's the first step. He was convicted. He was prosecuted for his need, and he saw that his need was for a Savior. And then he began to realize, he said, as he listened over the course, it took a year. As he listened over the course of a year, he began to realize it's not about what I have done, but what, a, what Jesus has done for me. See, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness, first he says, you yourself cannot provide the adequate righteousness to have a right standing with God. But then he does more than that. He begins to show you that God has been developing a righteousness for you that you receive by faith instead of you developing a righteousness for him that you offer him at the end of your life. God has been developing this righteousness and the Holy Spirit shows it to you and then he gives it to you and you realize I have a need. That's the first conviction. The second is there is a provision and you begin to embrace it. And then the third conviction that Dr. Coop said is he realized one day after a year, he goes, I believe all this stuff. And he said he went from being an observer of worship to being a participant in the worship. And he said, for the first time in his life, he realized, I do not live as an object of random accidents. There's a plan for me. And he began to come under the rule and the reign of the Lord Jesus. And the third thing that comes when the Holy Spirit convicts of judgment is he gives assurance of salvation. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you might be in the beginning of this. You're beginning to say, I have a need. Maybe you're beginning to say, you know, religion doesn't really work. I need what Jesus has done for me instead of what I'm trying to do for God. But the beauty is, is when you come to that third stage and the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God and the assurance is there that you're in and that you're in forever. And that's what the Holy Spirit, he is not simply the one who makes us feel bad. He's the one that gives us the strength to escape the prison of our sin and to begin to run with God like we were made to do. Will you receive this message from me today? Would you stand with me? Wherever it is the Holy Spirit is working in your life today, whether it's calling you to the mission of Jesus or it's calling you maybe for the first time to the heart of Jesus. Would you just, would you let him do it? If you have questions, questions just mean the Spirit's at work. Sometimes you have more questions when the Spirit's at work than you have answers. And that's okay, it's a good thing. So Lord, we, we call out today for those who are seeking you, that even today they would know that they find you, that this conviction of sin, this conviction of righteousness, 
even the prosecution about judgment is to lead them to a place where they will love the helper instead of thinking they don't need help. Lord, we, uh, we offer this to you today that, that you bring sealing work in each heart that, that today would be the day that it would cross over and say, I'm in. And for those of us who are already in, that today we would be encouraged not to be afraid to share with our friends, our family. That we begin to look for the signs of the Spirit's work. That we ourselves would be observant. And we would see what the Spirit is doing and the pattern that He's unfolding and unpacking in the lives of the people. And that we'd come alongside and help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you take just a minute and give each other a hug before you go home today and share Christ with each other. God bless you and have a great week.